Welcome to Tales, Tunes, and Tomfoolery, starring Jerry Springer, along with Gene Galvin and me. I'm Megan Hills. We're recorded live in front of a brilliant studio audience at the Folk School Coffee Parlor in Ludlow, Kentucky. My daddy came home. And here he is, ladies and gentlemen, Jerry Springer. Oh, please. You are too kind. Uh, welcome, and uh, I tell you what, we're going to go right away into something a little more serious than we normally start. Normally, we start just by being our normal stupid selves. Jerry, tonight we're going to talk to Cheryl Miller, who has her own institute. It's called the Digital Leadership Institute. She's an American living in Brussels, Belgium, and she was there today in the airport in the baggage claim area where one of the explosions occurred. Yes, I'm actually, so I run the Digital Leadership Institute and our work is actually promoting greater participation of girls and women in strategic sectors of the economy, especially digital sectors, including media. So I was actually at some big UN events on the Commission on the Status of Women, running a panel on, of all things, gender and media. Uh, that took place on Saturday, so I spent a day yesterday on Sunday just visiting with friends and returned uh, Monday evening. Um, or I'm, I, yeah, so, yeah. So, uh, Sunday evening to this. Yeah, I'm, I am still very discombobulated. Totally, un- the jet totally lag understood. The, uh, how long have you been living in Brussels? 17 years now. Oh, okay. So, all right. So you obviously know the whole environment there. Now, you land at the airport uh, last evening, and uh, you go to the baggage claim. Is that correct? Right. That was the situation. Okay. Now, um, I, I kind of fortunately got caught up in passport control because I'm between being an American and a Belgian, and ultimately I was sent to the foreign passport control which ended up being a really lucky thing for me because I think if I had gone through the, you know, the residents and the, the Belgian and European nationals line, it would have been faster. I would have actually been in the blast. Oh, gosh. Yeah. Okay. Now, what, when, take us through this. When was the first instant that you knew something was wrong? Was it something you heard, something you felt, something you smelled? What happened? It was the line building up at the customs area where normally, you know, it's just a green, you know, green traffic signal and everyone goes through unless you have something to declare. And there was a, a line building up. So apparently the, the first bomb had already detonated and there were people at the exit of the baggage claim area waiting to go out. And so I got in line with them. And then, you know, like 15 or 20 feet ahead of me, um, just suddenly we all heard a huge explosion and everything started rocking and shaking and dust and smoke flying everywhere, everyone running for cover. And yeah, I just hightailed it out of there, basically. Did did you feel anything in, in addition to the sound? In other words, there was there yeah, it was in your ears very a compression? Uh, yeah. I've ex- I lived in Tokyo and in, in Italy for a while and have experienced an earthquake. Yes. Um, so it was that kind of thing. I mean, the building was actually shaking. There was a lot of noise and particle flying everywhere, um, even large objects. 
And, um, but I knew it was an explosion. I mean, I knew it was centralized, you know, you could feel the, the, the sound and the energy, the movement emanating from a very particular point. The, there was obviously a, a, the center of the blast, which as it turns out was in the, um, departures hall. So just above where we were, um, arriving at and, um, yeah, at that moment, obviously, I guess just natural instinct took over and everyone started fleeing. I ran to the back of the baggage claim area and I really thought, I mean, after Paris and everything, um, it, you know, like these scenarios just started running through my head. This is, uh, it's a, um, sorry, I'm, um, this is a suicide bomber. Um, yeah, it was clearly a bomb. Um, you know, they're, they're going to be coming is what I thought. You know, I started, um, running through the things that we've heard since then about how we should respond. Um, so I was running for cover, running for an exit, looking in the worst case for somewhere to hide, but I really didn't want to stop moving. That was the thing. I, I thought there's going to maybe be another bomb or they're going to bust through the doors now with Kalishnikovs and we're going to get mowed down. So, I mean, uh, I was really in, you know, in flight mode. Was there a, a an instant where you first had to say, which direction do I run in? Or did you Absolutely start not. running because no. <laughs> everyone else was running in the same direction? Yeah, it was no, well, it was everyone moving away from the location of the blast, you know, and um, so we all just fanned out you know, away from that center point. And I actually went all the way back to the baggage claim into those offices where you do, where you pick up the lost luggage. Oh, right. Saying, hello, it. is yep. anyone here looking for the, you know, the fire door? I found nothing. And that was kind of the second shock on top of the initial shock was um, utter chaos. You know, what? no, um, no authority figures stepping in, no one trying to calm the crowd. There were hundreds of people. And those who didn't actually experience the blast and the sound who were still coming in from the terminal, um, they, yeah, they just kept wandering into the same area. So I was kind of on high alert myself about we are all continuing to kind of conglomerate here. And if there's another bomb, uh, we're basically sitting ducks. And there really was uh, a vacuum of of authority and direction and communication. I guess these things are normal, but frankly, having now been under a four, you know, level four alert for six months, I mean, we are living with tanks on the streets in front of our kids' schools and this kind of thing day in and day out now. Was it heightened? I, I really was expected it, more preparedness. Yeah. Was the awareness or, I mean, the security um, heightened since the arrest of the, uh, the Paris bomber a couple of two weeks ago? Did you notice a, um, a, that no, all of a sudden there's suddenly that more? I noticed that on our way, on my way out of the out yeah. of uh, Brussels last week, and I I definitely didn't see that in the arrivals terminal today. Okay. No, not now, by a long so stretch. there was no one at the airport at that moment. There weren't people saying, you know, run there or don't go outside or no. Did you? No. Did you I already have your bags? Seeking them out, I, I saw people. I saw people with these, you know, private security guard patches on them, asking, "Are you a security guard? What are you doing? What are we supposed to do?" 
And I w- one of them had a walkie-talkie, and I said, get on your walkie-talkie. Please find out what's happening. And he pointed me to another person and said, that's a security guard who was busy texting someone and said to me, I'm trying to reach my boss. So yeah. I, I so mean, basically I, it was no really one, dumbfounding. Yeah, no one around you kind of knew what was going on at the time. No. No, now, we had some uh, customs you, guards, and then we people, had border control. Were people running out with their luggage, or they just dropped their, their baggage and just ran? People held on to their luggage. I held on to my luggage. I'm right. almost ashamed to say it. I don't know why. I think it gave me a sense of security, but I was literally dragging a decent piece of luggage with all of the souvenirs that I had picked up I would think that's I would think that's a normal response now uh so there's no one there to tell you because if the bomb went off they didn't there was no one there to say everyone because they didn't know who the bombers were yet so there could have been people running out there that were the people that committed the crimes in other words no one secured the area you always see when there's a horrible event at a school or something like that where they bring people out, but then everyone, in a sense, gets searched and, you know, right. they go through the whole process of weeding out who's in there. But none of that no. took place. So how did you, how long was it before you actually left the building and I guess went on home or did you go home first? Um, well, we were not allowed to exit the baggage claim area. So, you know, there was debris right. and the smoke and, um, and these, uh, customs people keeping us in. Um, I felt extremely vulnerable just because of the things you were saying. I thought these people can be among us right here, or they can come storming through any sure. minute. And, uh, you know, when when the initial shock wore over, we were all just kind of standing there waiting to be told what to do. And I thought, okay, this is not what I should be doing. And I moved further away from the entrance again. I mean, you know, there was a whole back and forth. Where should I stand? Where should I be to be able to get out of here? And then finally, I guess it was maybe 20 minutes later that it might have been longer. It was, you know, it was really like being in a time warp. Um, that some people with some element of authority, it could have been anyone, started shepherding us and corralling us and saying, okay, now we're, you're all going to go through customs, follow us here. And then literally hundreds of people started to squeeze through these very narrow passages. They took us through the area that had just gotten bombed out. There, were, there was no one there. Um, it was like a war zone. I mean, broken uh, water mains. Uh, did, did you see any bodies? Did you see any bodies? No, they had. I, this is what I believe that they were doing while we were trapped. Is I believe they were clearing out that area. So that's what I wanted to say. Is I think there was action and response at the level, you know, of, let's say, ground zero, where the bombs actually Sure, went off. which you would expect. Um, so when we entered the terminal, it was just a shell of, you know, the ceiling had collapsed and the walls were uh, bombed out. There was a whole elevator um, shaft of glass that was shattered, and we were led out in a group down the escalators out of the exit of the, of the ground floor of the of the airport into the bus zone. And, you know, I actually used to work in that area. So I just said, I I felt like there was blood on the ground. People were milling around. We were all zombies. We didn't know what to do. And I just thought I'm 
moving and I'm going to keep moving. So I literally, I think in the end, I was probably the first person out of the airport who was not carried out in in an ambulance or a police car because I got my luggage. I got my phone, my husband on the phone and I said, I am going there. I was four wheeling across the medians through, you know, under ravines, whatever, um, to get out to where I could meet him. And he, in the meantime, had driven as far as he could. The highway was shut down. He had to leave the car. So he was there. Okay. So he was there. No, he was not. He came to me from the city to, to, he asked me, do you want, do you want me to come and get you? And I said, absolutely. I didn't, I, I just envisioned all of these, you know, being hoarded into the hangar and the things that did. Did he know what, when you pass. called him, when you called him, did he know what had happened or was the first news of what had no. happened? Your phone call. He didn't, he didn't. So yeah, you called him and said, honey, him. I'm home. And then boom, uh, this is what happened. Come and get me. Basically, yes. Okay, yes. so he, and he was actually in the car with the kids. And they um, and so they just let the car through disturbing. to the airport to get you? I, I'm no, just no. thinking of, and I, I'm not here to be critical of the Belgium, whatever the people in Belgium did or the authorities there, but normally if there is some kind of incident, at least here, that the, the, those that I've seen here in the States, everything gets cordoned off. Nobody gets in. Nobody gets to go out. You can't just drive up and pick someone up because, you know, they don't know who the bad well, guys are. That is essentially could- what happened. Um, he, was, he was actually the, the – there's a short uh, – an access road from the highway to the airport short. It's about – two-thirds of a mile or yeah, yeah, a couple, two, three kilometers. Um, and that access ramp was blocked. So he actually left his left our car there. He had just dropped the kids off at school, came from the center of Brussels, mm. left the car on the highway, on the shoulder of the road, and started walking towards me. And I started walking towards him because I said, there's no way you will get to the airport. And I didn't actually, I mean, everything you said is absolutely true. I think normally they would have kept everyone there, searched everyone, um, had you know the a staging area where they would were treating the people who were just like me. I was shell shocked. I wasn't uh, physically injured, but um, this wasn't. I mean, the the cops that I did encounter actually were scolding me, telling me to leave them alone. They needed to direct traffic. And so I, on my own, literally found my way out to my husband um, halfway down the access road from the airport. He and I walked the rest of the way and then uh, ran into a bunch of reporters who were the first on the scene, I think, from outside of uh, emergency vehicles. Um, And we got to our car and, and left. And I really think, I mean, I don't know how. This is what I was saying to the police. There are thousands of people back there who need to be taken care of, but I wasn't waiting for for anyone to come to my rescue. I just didn't see that happening. So I literally walked away from it, for better or worse. Yeah, well, as we talked to you, well, thank God you're okay. And so that's the first thing. Yes. And uh, secondly, as we talk to you now uh, on pure luck or good citizenship, they have apparently three of the people, well, two of the people who were involved, the bombers, uh, suicide bombers, are obviously dead. One of them they've got, or they know who the person is, because 
how they got to the airport, they got in a, they had a cab take them to the airport. After the, the cab driver was, when he got to the airport, was helping them with their luggage. The luggage was extremely heavy, and two of the guys said, no, don't touch it, don't touch it, we got it, and that made the cab driver suspicious. That, after the bombs went off then, whatever, 20 minutes later, um, the cab driver went to the authorities and said, I think I might have driven the, the bombers to the airport. And uh, so he took, he took the police back to the home where he picked them up, and sure enough, that's how they had the pictures and why so quickly they figured out who at least three of the people involved are. There may have been others, um, but that's how that, that was just pure luck or at least some citizen doing what we all ought to do in situations like that, constantly be looking for things that are out of the ordinary and see if we can be helpful in telling the authorities when we in fact see it. Let's talk just Absolutely. a second because it's interesting and maybe it's, it's ironic. You had been at the, uh, in New York at a UN conference having to do with a, a digital, in a sense, the digital econ economy, women in yes. that field. And we're in the middle of a political season here in America, and typically um, everyone is spouting off, you know, within an hour of it going off, they're all holding their press conferences or speaking to the media what they would do. And we get the extreme comments, let's say, of a Trump or a, uh, a Cruz saying, you know, we ought to keep all the Muslims out. You know, we got to, you know, there's just all this muscular foreign policy of, you know, we're going to nuke them. That wasn't the word they used. But the implication is we're going to get tough now. We got to, you know, we can't have this mamby-pamby president. We got to really do tough things. And yet it's obvious that this enemy isn't a particular religion. The, the weapon of today is social media. It's the internet. It's, yes. it's information. We can build all the walls we want around America, but if somebody can pick up their iPhone or go to a website and pick up, you know, some disgruntled kid that, you know, feels he's unloved and nothing's happening in his life, and he's sitting alone in his room and he goes to a website and this website is saying, you can be a hero. You can make your life worth something. You can go to heaven if you do this or whatever. And they recruit these for either crazy people or vulnerable, vulnerable They're people. They're vulnerable people. They are and vulnerable. I think you have really hit the nail on the head, Jerry. And it's not about walls. It's about that. This is the discussion yeah. that is not actually taking place. So really, as a woman who, I mean, literally walked into a terrorist attack today, um, I think this is the exact conversation that needs to be happening and isn't. Why are those young people so vulnerable to these kinds of uh, quick fixes, you know, or, you know, there's, there's a whole underlying economic problem. It's a geopolitical discussion. Um, and I don't want to say it's because we don't have uh, women in politics and women in peacekeeping. But you're right, there is this very, you know, muscular foreign diplomacy, and that's for want of a better word. I think there's probably a better word, but I won't use it. Yeah. Um, and 
that is exactly the kind kind of thing that I'm trying to work to change. It's the the real change agents on the ground in Belgium today are actually the mothers of those young men yeah. who are trying trying whatever they can can on the ground, grassroots, whatever it takes to stop this. Um, you know the the fanaticism to stop the the growth of the extremism, which uh, you're absolutely right, is fueled and enabled by technology. And we really need to have. I mean, I was I was very shocked that some of the first reactions that came across on my Facebook feed were a friend of mine getting slammed by Trump supporters saying, "See, Belgium is a hell. Brussels is a hellhole." Yeah, well, this was the first response, yeah. you know, in the face of the kind of tragedy, the human tragedy that we're looking at today that I've felt, you know, in a, in a very personal way. Yeah, well, it, it, he, you know, he's I'm, I'm being partisan, but he, he's an embarrassment. But uh, the point is you're not and, partisan. I think that's just the human yeah, response. Yeah. He is an embarrassment. Yes. And uh, and it's not him alone. I mean, there is a growing right wing here who wants to separate our country from the rest of the world, build the walls, keep everybody else out, and think that we can survive in this world uh, alone as an, as an island and not, and of course, America will fold if, 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 if we retreat from the world uh, because it's happening all over. But in not in defense of what these guys are saying, but the same thing is happening in Europe. Right-wing parties yes. are gaining strength throughout Europe and in many countries in the world because the initial response is something like this happens, let's nuke them, let's punch them in the face, let's, let's you know, it's, it's all this muscular-type response. It's what America did after 9-11, let's start a war with Iraq had nothing to do with what had happened, but let's start a war. We'll show them. And yeah. now the same and, thing and is happening Europe, in Europe. The, you know, the buildup to uh, this, an outcome of that kind um, is going to be much slower. Uh, it will have to get a lot of, you know, traction. And I'm afraid you're right. The rhetoric is, it's very dismal. I mean, right here, you know, in Belgium, you know, you know, we have two language communities, the Flemish and Dutch speaking yeah. uh, Belgians and the French speaking Belgians. And um, particularly in Flanders, among the Dutch speaking and in communities like Antwerp, um, there is a lot of traction growing for this kind, just this kind of quote unquote solution to the quote unquote problem. Um, but you can see it on a national level in Hungary and Poland. Um, and then you have the influence of the media, and this is where it really is, there really is a key, uh, key discussion that is also happening in the U.S., but that is kind of fanning the flames, fanning the fear, the angst, and then that knee-jerk reaction to kind of fight fire with fire, regardless of yeah, how well, the real problem is the, Twitter. Uh, you know, the problem is, yeah. um, then, then the reaction is, um, Twitter is equally only severe. Twitter only permits 146 characters or something, and you can't settle these problems in a, with 146 letters. And, you know, it's all bumper sticker. It's all, we'll get them, boom, instead of seeing how complex this is. Now, one of the issues in Europe, and you're closer to it than we are here, but one of the great problems is with the European Union, 
you have the open borders, which I would say is a good thing, but you don't have shared information. Because of the cultural and historical differences uh, among all the countries in Europe, or so many of the countries in Europe, even though the borders are open, the intelligence agencies in these various countries, because of pride or fear, don't share the information that they have with the other countries there. Or the same kind of protectionism that you're talking about in the U.S. Because, I mean, this is the thing that we often forget as Americans is yeah. these are actually sovereign nations. You know, this is not about 50 states and, a, exactly. and a, you know, a federal uh, government. It's really 28 sovereign countries who have their own uh, agenda, obviously own their own political infrastructure and infighting and uh, polarizing so there is that added element, and, and this is, I think, then these what are you going to do? I understand really that, but that, then that problem. Then what do you? I understand that, and you—that's a great point. But then, if recognizing that these are separate entities, sovereign entities, but you have open borders. So, in terms of how the people live there. It's like 50 states in the United States. You don't have to, I can go from Ohio to Indiana and there's no, you know, you don't have to go through any authorities to get there. Uh, but well, you it, know, it, actually, as it, a result of this attack today, the, the borders are being closed. The same thing happened with France. Um, then we have the whole, you know, the crisis with the refugees and the movement right. of those people among European nations. So, I mean, it's just these kinds of crises that are calling into question what the whole European vision is or was um, and how through tests of this kind, because you're right, there's a very idiosyncratic situation here where we all want this union and we see the benefits of this free movement of people. This is a vision we have for the entire world and where Europe can actually lead on questions of that kind. But then the real test of the vision and our commitment to it is through situations just like this. And here you really see the, I mean, you see the vision completely unraveling. I mean, when it's actually being put to test, whether it's terrorist threats or, like I say, the refugee crisis, which is a humanitarian crisis uh, on a glo global scale happening right here in Europe today, um, we don't even have the mechanisms in place in Europe to deal with these kinds of things. And then you really get like the rollback to very basic, you know, instinctual reactions okay, and well, the here's rhetoric the tough and the question policy then. and media that just exacerbates that. I agree. Every time there's an incident such as this, we have to take five steps backward because the original in, instinct, the initial instinct will be to punch back and to hit somebody. And that obviously leads to more and more and more. And that's exactly what they're trying to do. They're trying to get us stirred up. They take a right. punch we over or we react in a big way and they wait a few months and then they punch again in other words it's, it, this will go on forever the, here's the point I, here's the tough question i think those of us left of center those of us in the more liberal community the tough question we have to deal with and it can't i don't think we can give a flippant answer to it in this world of social media, where now social media has become, in a sense, a weapon 
just it wasn't around in World War II, but now it's a weapon. And we know that that's how, quote, the bad guys get to do what they want to do because they can just communicate with each other over their phones, over the, in social media. How much are we willing to give up some of our privacy rights knowing that the authorities could probably catch some of these people, not all, but see, here's what happens, and it drives me crazy. We get these, like you were saying very early on in the conversation, uh, we're on level four alert. And I remember after 9-11 here in the country, we had different color alerts. You know, it went from red to right. pink to yellow, whatever it was. But anyway, so we have all these general things, or we're on a higher alert now because of information we got. What do you do with that? It's, it's nothing. So now we hear the authorities saying, well, we knew that they were going to have, they being, quote, I keep saying the bad guys because they're terrorists. Right. That's what I'm going to call right. them, the bad guys. Mm -hmm. We knew that the bad guys were planning because there was a lot of traffic they were planning a major event. And everyone that I've seen interviewed in the last couple of hours on television here in the States is saying, well, we knew there was some big event. We just didn't know where. We just didn't know exactly what, et cetera. Well, that information would be available in some forms of social media communication. And we know that's Perhaps. the truth. But we're living very comfortably here in the States and the odds, God forbid tomorrow it is an event, but the odds of any one American being in an event are, you know, a million to one. Doesn't mean you won't be in one, but the odds are a million to one that you won't be. And so we say, I'm not giving, I don't want anyone listening, you know, looking at my iPhone, who I've been in contact with, what my conversations are, what I like to watch, any of that stuff. And we're very protective because that's in our DNA. But in it's, this new world, natural. when they do this stuff, at some point, do we have to say, you know, it, it's a balance. Maybe we have to start giving some of that up. We have to maybe have safeguards, but we have to let the authorities find these people. Otherwise, I promise you, the next time there's an event, you will see a public official saying, well, we knew there was going to be an event. We just didn't know where it was going to be. And if we have the technology to listen to what they're saying, I don't have, you know, if my grandson, he's a little kid, but if he asks me, how come we can't listen and find out? It's getting tougher and tougher to answer that question. It really is. Well, and you know, I think when you go down that path, though, you really open up the, the it's a can of worms, you know, and where does it start and where does it stop then? I agree. And, uh, but I think and, we have to I have that think, discussion. You know, there's, you know, the terrorists are they're using gaming, uh, you know, massive online uh, gaming uh, environments to communicate. Or, you know, there's always there's always a new app with more security. So there's kind of an escalation situation there that is, you know, that is actually the new um, battleground. Um, and I, yeah, I I understand the the reaction to want to help to be good citizens, to um, find the bad guys. But I really have a lot of my own reservations about just 
uh, giving the authorities actually the right to I do too. filter through all of our I private. Swear and, I swear I do. I never thought and, I'd live to see the day where I say stuff like so, this. But if the option, I'm willing to have this discussion now because the alternative option is you get crazy guys saying, let's nuke them. Let's keep all Muslims out. Let's all this kind of stuff. So I am Where saying if I have yeah, to choose I mean, indeed. if I have uh, to choose a weapon are, of defense I'm not sure I'd, I'd rather not have the nuclear um response maybe you know maybe they got to go, you know we set up this court where you got to go and get the warrant for that or this whatever I'm not smart enough to think of exactly what the safeguards are Your knee jerk reaction is the correct one you know and and to be honest, I mean, this is where I kind of go get back to the diversity question and the role of more women in leadership and decision making. And it's not because I'm saying that I, I support Hillary, which I do, but I um, do, too. You're allowed to say it. I think it's <laughs> I think it's because we, you know, we only see certain options or we only perceive that there are certain options. And that's because we're not presented with what the, you know, what the abundance of options are actually for keeping the peace. Um, you know, and as long as the media outlets and the politicians are talking about the button, you know, put the, the nuclear option or, you know, that it's the fault of social media, then we are not talking about all the other options that we have in between there. And, and like uh, we were discussing in the beginning, what is actually behind all of this? You have a geopolitical reality that is actually the outcome of economic necessity. Why does ISIS exist? Why are these kids alienated and jumping up and ready to die for a cause that is more, I, I don't want to say it's smoke and mirrors, but it, I mean, it has this very attractive ap appeal about it, uh, mainly because we don't know a lot about what Cheryl, it is, I'm but it on sounds your side. great. I'm on um, your side. I think all that has to be done. I would only add to that, though, as long as you have six billion human beings, there will never be an answer so that you never have some people that are angry and do horrible things. That as soon but as you can, had more than two human beings, you had We can as one that. voice condemn that behavior right. though and not respond to it in kind. Exactly. And I think this is the voice that we are, are lacking. We do not hear people, I mean, we do, fortunately, among the, the politicians. The Belgian king was uh, on TV tonight, I think the, in a very unprecedented one-minute um, uh, presentation saying we all need to stick together um, and, and be compassionate and show our love for the people who are suffering. And I think that's kind of the message, you know, and that's really, at the end of the day, perhaps it's all we have in the face of kind of human catastrophe of this kind. But I think, you know, like I said, um, we need to be listening to those people, to those communities. Why is this happening? You hear the mothers who are the only ones who are trying to stop the fanaticism of their kids. Um, we need to be talking to them. They need to have a voice. We hey, Cheryl, know can I make a... what it is that needs to happen. Cheryl, let me make a quick observation. Uh, first of all, we're going to give you a round of applause and thank you, our audience here, so much. In a day that's been harrowing, obviously, that you did this, a quick observation. 
and you and I talked a number of times during the day. This is Gene Galvin talking, and uh, I want to, first of all, I want to make sure people know that you have an institute. It's called the Institute for, institute for Digital Leadership, correct? Yes, the Digital okay. Leadership Institute, yeah. Digital Leadership Institute, and uh, I, you know something, I, I've been sitting listening to you and Jerry talking, and it's, uh, ho it's horrible and it's fascinating. I wonder if you shouldn't, as an American living in Belgium, who has experienced firsthand a terrorist attack, you are different from all the rest of us. You are now in a horribly unique position, and yet I'm noting that you are not one saying that we should go bomb everybody, we should barbed wire the borders, we should snoop into everybody's social media. That's what you've been saying. You have a unique perspective, and I would beseech you write an op-ed piece for the New York Times or the Washington Post. We need to, you just said we're not hearing these voices. Cheryl Miller, you have street cred. You have authority. You are clearly articulate, and you live through something that, God, I hope none of us in this room ever have to live through. But again, we thank you so much for taking time late at night from a terrible day to share your story with part of the world, at least through our podcast. Again, we thank you very much. Thank you, Cheryl. You're very welcome. Thank yeah. you for having me. I hope tomorrow her day is boring. Yeah. yeah. It is incredible. But the thing is, is that it's social media, it's not, it's not going away. So it doesn't do any good to call it good or bad. It's, it is, yeah. it's the reality. So we have to find a way. And I think Cheryl's, you know, that's the part of the, the point of her institute is we have to live with it and we have to find a way to live with it. And she's obviously very articulate, very yep. insightful. And we're, I just feel lucky that we uh, were able to talk to her. I think we should transition now. And, and I, uh, need to make a little money for myself if you don't mind but uh i'd like to ask to maybe segue into our next stuff by uh, doing our commercial hi i'm gene galvin and i ride the ludlow city bus i ride it in the morning afternoon and night to church to the grocery to my proctologist, even to my monthly meetings with the probation officer. It's easy to do. When the door opens, I walk up the stairway, drop my token into the slot, and take my seat by the big window to watch life roll by. So if you're like me and have had your dreams crushed by the cold, competitive American system, then leave car driving to the oily hucksters and cheaters and ride with me on the Ludlow City Bus. Remember our motto, if it's not on our route, then you really don't need to go there. <laughs> Yet, you know, I don't know why you people which, are snickering at that. Well, <laughs> I'll tell you a problem I have with it. All right. Okay. And I admit, I just, you know, because I work elsewhere and live elsewhere, I just fly in every Tuesday late afternoon to come here and do this. Right. And I... But I've been here now every two, almost every Tuesday night for a year. I have yet to see this Ludlow City bus. Really and How truly. often <laughs> does it run? Is it like it runs every Christmas Eve? Right, one what, day a what year. What is this? What do you mean you take? You, you know, 
I, it's, I have some insight. I actually have a friend in the audience tonight, and she happens to be the city manager for Ludlow. Oh, there's oh, Rowan. Yes. No, 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 so, no, 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 no. So no, no. I think that what we well, can I'd do. Well, I'd like to hear no, about no, this. Is what a pot. We could, actually have the, the actual city the manager. The actual city manager. Come on up, Alicia Chamberlain, ladies oh, and gentlemen. Oh, well, there you go. And this oh. is real. <laughs> yeah. No, 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 no. Well, no, step up here, Jean. Yes. You seem to be shrinking in your seat there. Yeah. So. What is the. Tell us about this Ludlow City bus. Well, um, I'm going to thank Jean for this because it's become kind of a proverbial pain in my rumpus. Yes. <laughs> it doesn't actually exist. Uh-huh. What? Yeah, we have Tank. We have the Transit Authority of Northern Kentucky, and they provide wonderful services to all of Northern Kentucky for public transport. Yeah. But this Ludlow City bus is like the Ludlow Unicorn. <laughs> it's not real. It's in Jean's head, I think. Perhaps. So where does Jean well, go? Well, how are we, pa are we paying for this commercial? Right, it doesn't right. exist. That's your business plan. <laughs> this is your business plan? You create products He's that don't exist? Quiet. <laughs> you should see the people lined up outside of the city building when they're angry that their bus never came, Gene. Do you know how cruel that is? Uh, you drink nice. a second side all night, you go to the Ludlow Tavern, you, you sleep at the That's Hobo Village. That's a great Village. place, by the way. You wake up, you're going to catch a bus, the bus never comes. There's no Ludlow bus. there is no bus. <laughs> Look, guys. <laughs> what, is your, what do you have here. to say for yourself, Mr. Galvin? Thank you very much for shedding some light on this, by the way, Alicia. I don't have much of a life. Clearly. <laughs> and Jerry, you... Duh, there's a bulletin. You jet off to homes in seven, seven different locations, and three of them are foreign countries, by the way. So you have seven homes all over the world. You drive any car you want. Just go out to your garage. This is you have lived a charmed life. I got Jack Diddley. So if I need to create a little purpose in my life and a little bit of status by... And this is your status, a Ludlow City bus. <laughs> that you doesn't exist. Dream big, Gene. Dream big. This is your problem. You set your standards so low. This is your dream? One day I want to ride the Ludlow City bus, man. Boy, you must have gotten a lot of dates when you were younger. <laughs> hey, you know what? What our audience, what our listeners did not see was Gene giving double hockey sticks no. and Jerry there. No, he was signaling oh, for the bus. Is that what it was? <laughs> I so, will make a promise. What? And I will hold my water glass high and say I will never, ever ask David Proust to put on a commercial that's not real for my cheap little ego, the needs of my cheap little ego. So I, I am uh, repentant, and that's all I can say. You can trust me, it'll never happen again. Apologize to the Thank city of Ludlow. <laughs> now, can we take advantage of the fact that Elisha Chamberlain, the true, because I know there are a lot of people who are listening to this saying, oh, it's probably not the real city manager. <laughs> no, you really the fact are the that city really manager. is the I'm, city manager. I'm a manager. real person. It's, it's not yes, a fake person that's right. like yes. your bus. And let's give, let's give some props yes. to what the work she's doing in Ludlow, Kentucky. This place really is becoming a really cool place fast. And the that's one true. niche that I want to talk about, and... Alicia, to ask you maybe to add some uh, detail to it, mm -hmm. is the what I'm perceiving is the moving in of the creative class. Not the only people moving in here. I mean, I moved into Ludlow 11 years ago. But I thought mm -hmm. you were talking about the creative class. Yeah. Well, that's Those with saying. talent, something to offer the community. But there really is a folk school coffee parlor as an example. Mm -hmm. The cool yes. people that opened the that's Ludlow true. Tavern. Yes. The uh, There are a lot of things happening. There is a folk singer 
uh, that moved in here recently. There's a fencing school above There's the, a yeah. fencing school. We've got a There's really yeah. sort of a distillery is amazing, and it's not you know your typical distillery. It's second sight spirits, yeah. and and they're. It's people from the theater. Um, right, right. I believe Megan, uh, way back when, you worked with some of them. Yep. Um, mm-hmm. They went out to Las Vegas. They, While they were working on a Cirque du Soleil uh, program, they decided to become distillers, which is my kind of people. I like yeah. this. Um, you know, they come back and they, they add, like, an interesting perspective to the city. We do have the fencing school. Mm-hmm. Um, we've got Winter's Cup Cafe that's kind of giving you that family feel. We've got the folk school where we can come and listen to some of my favorite bands, yep. um, taste some great coffee, and he locally sources a lot of his things. We're starting to see this resurgence here and this redevelopment. It's this kind of great. amazing. Yeah. It is, yeah. Yeah. and, and we you don't have an you don't have an airport or a bus company. <laughs> no, no. I'd rather have an airport. I know we're close I, to the airport, though. You, Your uh, plane can land here. Somewhere, no, right? I, I got it's it's a twenty minute drive. <laughs> I have to imagine. No, I get off. It's painful, isn't it? Oh. <laughs> It's unbelievable. I tell, you, like, I tell you, my chauffeur is getting tired. <laughs> the problems you have to deal oh, with, sir. He, oh. And uh, Alicia, I add one other thing. The bike trail that's coming in along oh, the Ohio oh, River yeah. that will connect this Riverfront Commons is it's like 14 miles. It's going to go all the way over to Fort Thomas. Yeah. You can cruise the whole, you know, Route 8. Um, I think it's going to be kind of competitive with like the Loveland Bike Trail. From what I understand, I think the city of Cincinnati is getting ready to start mimicking this on their side of the river. Yep. This is like cool. major connectivity. This is introducing um, a way for cyclists to really take advantage of what they've been taking advantage of in a very unsafe way for a long time. Um, cyclists have always hit Route 8. Right, yeah. Now they're not going to die. Um, right. so and that's a plus. A good thing. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, the city of Ludlow, we're actually trying to reach out because that's coming in and because of the great things happening up in Davout with the backcountry trails. We're really trying to cater to, to people who like outdoor recreation and like yeah. folk schools are a prime example of this. Right. Um, you know, give a place for these bikers to stop and rest and have a cup of coffee or, you know, go down the street and have a beer when they're through biking for the day. Hopefully yep. they don't ride home after that. They can take Ludlow bus. There you yeah. go. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, Ludlow's definitely, we're seeing some some brightness and some change. Well, good job. Let's so give good a job. Yeah. 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 Alicia Chamberlain, the city yeah. manager. Thank you very much, Alicia. Hey, we're going to bring on a band here momentarily. We're going to ask that we've got a group uh, getting ready to come up here, and I'm grabbing my notes. Uh, It's the Frontier Folk Nebraska group. But before we do, I just want to mention something. I've talked about my cousin Mike before. Oh, and my, tell me about that. Well, and my cousin Mike, I by the way, God, Jerry and Megan, table. No. has a son you. named Jimmy, yeah. a little kid, Seriously. Uh, like a second grader, and he yeah. went to school the other day, and he said to his teacher, he said, uh, can you punish me for something I didn't do? And she says, go. well, I'm not going to do that. That would be unfair. And he says, okay, I didn't do my homework. Uh, but, and, and, and it was, uh, and it's his dad, Mike, Jerry. Oh, I get it. <laughs> Was that it? Was that the end of that painful, painful yeah. trail yeah. you just took us on? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. By the way, there Trust really me. is a Ludlow City bus company. I'll play yeah. along there with you for the not. night. Hey, by the way, uh, I'll yeah. play along with the podcast yeah. for oh, the for evening. Oh, for the love of God, there is Hey, not. by the way, uh, my cousin uh, is on the school board. This is in a very conservative area, way out place called Claremont County. It's a well-known conservative area of this region. And uh, he's, he's on the school board. He's being yeah. interviewed, Jerry, by a reporter. And, and the reporter it. just sort of, is there anybody in this district that believes in no child left behind? And my cousin Mike thought for a minute and said, yeah, probably the bus driver. Um, anyway. Um, How's your hearing aid, Jerry? Let's bring up. <laughs> well, actually, today. Frontier Folk Nebraska. No. If you guys will 
<laughs> come on. <laughs> well, what, Jerry? What happened today? Please come no, up and save was, us. Please come play music. It was, it, <laughs> yeah, right. I'm, I admit, I'm not, I'm not with it anymore. I don't get... The people at the show were just have, talking backstage and talking about one of the people working on the show having an affair, and I... And I just kind of interrupted. I want to know who the caterer was. Shut up. That's new. It's not good, but it's new. Yes. <laughs> Pretty bad. Hey, we've God got uh, Frontier Folk, Nebraska, Whoop. and as usual, let's yeah, give them a round of applause. Yes. They're a group that, uh, by the way, formed as far back as 2006, yes. and they're from Covington, Kentucky. Uh, they have a drummer from Cincinnati. They have three LPs to date, so these guys are pretty prolific. And um, we're going to hear a song from them, and we may have a question or two. And uh, you guys ready to go? Yes. All right.
That's Frontier Folk, Nebraska. They've got a lot going on. They've got an album coming out shortly uh, called This One's for the Kid in the Back. You can pre-order now. Uh, by the way, you can find them online at, at FrontierFolkNebraska.BandCamp.com. And um, they're Whispering Beard Hall of Famers from 2015. So this is a really good group. And by the way, they've got, they're going out on tour and I imagine if you go to their website, correct me if I'm wrong, you can find out the details of this. But it's May, pardon me, it's uh, from March 29th through April 7th. Then they're going to go out again. Say it again. Just April 2nd. April 2nd. March 29th and April 2nd? Through April. Through April 2nd, sorry. And then from May 14th through the 22nd. And uh, would you guys do a second song for us? Yes, We'd sir. love to hear one. All right, here we go. Front, uh, Frontier Folk, Nebraska.
love that. I love that. And what... What... Beautiful. Beautiful. But what folks can't see, which is kind of new to me, I love the combination of instruments you have in your band here because, you know, we we have groups every week and overwhelmingly the instruments are the guitar, the banjo, once in a while a fiddle. But you have here, we have the cello, we have the bass fiddle, we have the violin, or the fiddle, I'm sorry. Um, And you were playing the... It's a lap steel. It's almost like I had done it before, I feel like. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. But it's like a Hawaiian guitar kind of deal. Yeah, yeah. And then very a, cool sound. A very cool sound. I mean, it, yeah, you, you, you nailed you. it. You got it. Yeah, it's great. work, guys. Hey, introduce your members real fast, please. Well, tonight, we, uh, funny to say, uh, we're, not, we're not really a, like an acoustic folk band, yeah. per se. We're, we're a rock and roll band. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But we play, them, well, we play them acoustic every once in a while. Yeah. And our friend Joe Mitchell here from the Mitchells. Yeah. We have Don here from the Carol, Will of Truly Carolers. We have uh, Matt McCormick behind me on bass, Travis Towered on guitar, and I'm Michael Hensley. All so, right. So basically, yeah. So basically, you're you're hybrids. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I, I you're not a band together. You just yeah, got a bunch just, of guys. We're yeah. all friends, and we like playing music, and this worked out well. Sounds great. That's it sounds good great. Job. Very much. Really Would you good. take us out on Irene Goodnight sure. and let Jerry Springer join you on the second Absolutely. verse? Absolutely. This will really be hybrid. <laughs> Check out our website at jerryspringer.com.